1: We
2: are live here on the February 22nd edition of the MMA Industry Podcast. I am, of course, James Lynch, and I'm joined today by a very special guest. He is a freelance journalist. He's done a lot of stuff for MMA, uh, bylines at MMA Junkie, Vice Sports. He's also done some stuff for CNN, uh, for the Huffington Post. He's also a musician, too. The guy is a jack of all trades, and I'm happy to have him on the show. It is Dan Shapiro joining me here on the program. Dan, how are you?
3: I'm good, James. Thanks for having me on. It's, uh, it's quite an honor, for sure. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing very well. It's actually afternoon here, Eastern
2: Time, but uh, no, no worries. I understand it's not as uh, beautiful as uh, where you're at in uh, California. I'm out here in cold Toronto, but uh, Dan, it's good to get you on. Uh, you know, you and I have known each other for a little bit here, and uh, you know, I always start the show off with kind of the way I have uh, met my guests, and you and I have met in person a few times. But uh, if I'm remembering this correctly, I believe the first time we actually met in person, face to face, handshake, and all that good stuff, Bellator NYC last year in June, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, man, I think it was uh, I think it was over stakes in midtown. Uh yeah, it was a good time. Bellator NYC, one of the I guess the biggest fight that Bellator has ever done and, and got a lot of media out there. So yeah, that was a a good place to meet. But we had been in touch for a while before that and uh, yeah. always good to put a name to a face, but you're a hustler, man. It was even tough to, to keep up with you that week for sure.
2: I know. Yeah, it was a pretty busy week. We had the three prong attack uh, for, for Bellator with uh, myself, Dwayne Finley, Hunter, uh, trying to get content there for Bellator NYC, which uh, still I don't know about you. You've covered a bunch of events that Bellator NYC card media wise was so much fun and, and it was so well organized. I, uh, I, I like I look back as that's still one of my favorite events to cover out of the whatever 20 events I've covered before.
3: Yeah, I've been fortunate to cover some of the bigger events during Conor's run and, you know, the, the Mayweather-McGregor fight and, and, you know, during Ronda's run. But, but that was a special fight. I mean, the, the fights in New York have been really good. And, uh, you know, the promotions are doing whatever they can to generate media buzz going to, to New York, the, the capital of the world, as they like to say. And, uh, yeah, that was definitely a special, special event. Never loved New York Midtown, though. So that was my only complaint was that you're just <laughs> jam-packed in Midtown for four days straight. But, but it was a grind. It was a good time
2: certainly was. Now, people watching this will probably remember you from a bunch of different outlets, uh, mainly Champions. And we'll get into that in a sec because, uh, you know, we were just talking off air, you know, Champions uh, was doing so much good work. And it was so unfortunate what happened with them as, as a company and everything. But uh, just so people know, I mean, you are a free uh, full time uh, freelance journalist, correct? That is what is uh, paying all your bills right now. Or, or you, you do some other stuff, too. You were telling me uh, with reality television and, and other things like that.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a freelance journalist, but I'm also a freelance producer and writer and and creative. I mean, I don't at this point right now, I am not just working in the MMA industry. I'm also a copywriter. I mean, it's a it's a tough hustle, and the the downturn from 2015 and 16 to 17 and 18 has been a big change. So, uh, like you mentioned, I'm a jack of all trades. So I get my hands uh, and feet wet and dirty in a, in a lot of different fields. And MMA is just something that I'm, I'm quite passionate about. You know, I've been in this, uh, in this grind for close to eight years, actually, between uh, international experience and then domestically. So, uh, yeah, you know, we'll, uh, we'll see what new opportunities we can create, but definitely uh, a lot of projects going on in the MMA space right now.
2: So where did it all begin as far as the interest in martial arts or combat sports? How, how far do we have to go back for that?
3: Well, there's a, there's a huge gap. Uh, I was one of those young teenagers that was watching UFC 1 and 2 and 3 when I was, you know, 12, 13 years old. And uh, and then I didn't follow the sport for a long, long time. And around 2010, I actually worked on the promotion side. I worked as a PR guy for a couple of years in China. Uh, we helped uh, establish uh, an MMA promotion out there called RUFF, the Rannick Ultimate Fighting Federation, which is not around anymore. It actually started by guys in your neck of the woods, uh, guys from Toronto that were in China. So I got my—I got thrown into the into the cauldron of MMA really, really fast around 2010, and then 2013 I moved uh, I moved back to the states after a lengthy stay abroad. And uh, you know, being a, a journalist and a writer and having good credits and. You know, going to school for journalism and having a proper education, I was able to quick up some, pick up some gigs quickly. And, uh, you know, that's how I kind of got started in the, the MMA media space.
2: So what was your first media job that you ever had? Like even outside of MMA, do you remember what it, what it would have been?
3: The first media job I ever had professionally, I was 15 years old and I was writing for a newspaper in Trenton, New Jersey, where I'm from. I was a Little League baseball reporter. Uh, I'm, yeah, I was about 15 years old and I did that for a couple of years. I really wanted to, uh, I was passionate about writing and journalism when I was a kid, so I was really into it. I knew what I wanted to study before I went to school, but yeah, I already had you know, professional clippings and, and bylines before I could drive a car.
2: Interesting. So did you go to school like post-secondary for, for writing or something like that? Like what's sort of your background there?
3: Yeah, I have a bachelor's in broadcast journalism. I graduated from Boston University in 2004 and it was a great experience, I guess I could say. Uh, you know, I, I'm someone who's been writing for 20 plus years and creating content for 20 plus years. And I've, I've stepped away from it several times to pursue uh, music and films. So I do a lot of creative work and it's really just about whatever project interests me the most these days. And MMA has become increasingly, you know, more of a concentration for me.
2: Yeah, it certainly has. And uh, you've been doing some great work. Um, You know, how long have you sort of been working remotely? Because it seems like, you know, you haven't had to go into an office really, or has it always been that way since the start? Uh,
3: You know, it's always been a combination of things. I've done the, I've done the desk job. I've done a 50 hour a week desk job while freelancing on the side and, and doing clippings. I've worked a full-time desk job working 50 60 hours just in the mma space during my time at champions so there's there's no right or wrong way to uh to get into this industry you just really have to be persistent and keep going and sometimes it's a slow news day so there are some people that are committed to keep grinding and finding the news if it's a slow news day i probably have another project in another space that's going to keep me preoccupied for that time but you know I'm, i'm always looking for stories and and finding ways to get content out
2: Who are some of your mentors early on that sort of got you into the media industry and do you still keep in touch with them? Uh,
3: My biggest mentor in the media space is a gentleman by the name of Eric Barrow. He's the sports editor at the New York Daily News. He was my first editor when I was a kid and we're still in touch. Actually, I wrote for the New York Daily News. I covered the Mayweather-McGregor fight exclusively for them. So it was a great sort of, uh, you know, getting the the band back together 20 years later kind of experience. But uh, he's he's got a good decade on me, Eric Barrow, and he's always been a a great mentor. So several times in my career or when i was still a student trying to figure out, you know, where I wanted to go and in what direction I've, I've always had the support of of him. And then I I think that's the main one, honestly.
2: Okay. That's cool. Um, As far as, uh, you know, being a fan of the sport, were there any particular fighters you liked watching or were you just a fan of everything?
3: Well, you know, we're not supposed to say who our favorites are, right? That's part of being in the media game. Are there some fighters, you know, I'm originally from New Jersey so maybe by regional affiliation I'm a little bit more interested sometimes to see the guys from New Jersey fight guys like Frankie Edgar guys like Jim Miller but you know I'm a fan of guys and girls from all over the world you know I have a certain attachment to the Chinese fighters because I worked with a lot of them while I was living in China but you know I think uh I like the artistry of the whole thing so the guys like Conor McGregor the guys like John Jones the guys like Tony Ferguson They're really bringing a true artistry into the game and the movement. Those are the kind of things that really attract me to the sport. So those are the things, you know, just the different aesthetics, uh, the grace of the whole thing. So I I do like the brute force, but I generally tend to favor the guys that are a little bit more eloquent on their feet.
2: And as far as living in China and, you know, working with that promotion, what were some of the challenges there? I I imagine culturally, I mean, there's some big differences there, but how was that transition and how long were you actually there for?
3: So I lived in China for almost seven years. I went there just to kind of hang out for a while and ended up, uh, you know, making a life out of it. And it was a, it was a huge challenge. The The promotion was actually backed by the Chinese ministry of sports. So it was doing a lot of work with the government. So that's never easy, you know, um, in the States. And I don't know, I don't know so much in Canada, but in the States, we really don't have a lot of government involvement in the sport. Of course the commissions are backed by state agencies, but what we were doing in China was was never done before, which was creating a national MMA promotion where there actually were national champions with national champion MMA belts. So that was something unique, but... You know, there's a a country of almost 2 billion people there, and most of them don't know what MMA is because the martial arts culture is so strong. They know Kung Fu, uh, and they know Wushu, they know Sanda. So they know some basics of martial arts and some facets of it, but the whole game to them has been... uh, It's been a long, slow, and steady build. So it was great to see the UFC go to Shanghai last, uh, last November, and finally they're starting to have enough local fighters where they can almost build a full card out of it. Obviously, that card... Faced a lot of challenges when Anderson Silva was pulled off the card, but uh, you know, education is the real thing. And it's the, it's the same uphill battle that MMA has faced for the last 24 years in, uh, in North America and the world It's just educating people and and changing perceptions. So it was a long grind. It was a great project, uh, amazing project, honestly, but it was really, it was really about building the market so that almost the UFC had a market to go into.
2: Yeah, no, that's interesting. Now, at the time you're doing this, are you thinking like, is the goal at this time like, hey, I want to be involved in promotions? This is sort of my, you know, the the end goal here? Or or are you also just are you just sort of living in the moment and saying, hey, this is good for now. We'll, We'll see where this goes.
3: It was absolutely a case of living in the moment. For now, I was, uh, I was coming off a gig as a project manager for Gibson Guitars and uh, wanted to do something different. And I just happened to, to find a client that needed some help in the, the copywriting space. And that developed into a, a pretty cool relationship where I, where I came on as a PR and communications guy. And, and I did that for over two years. I mean, it was, a, it was a real grind, traveling around China, setting up cages, putting on fights, doing demos, teaching people, educational seminars. And, uh, and it, was, it was phenomenal, but it, it's not something that I ever planned to get involved with. It was literally just uh, one evening. I met a gentleman at a, at a party at a club, and uh, he was wearing a Jewish star, and, uh, and we started talking a little bit, and, uh, and one thing led to another, and I was working for this promotion that I actually hadn't even gotten off the ground yet. So I was with them from you know, over a year before the first, fight, uh, the first fight was promoted, and I was there for the first eight fights
2: interesting okay so as far as uh you know doing the you know the pr stuff and you know being involved in the promotion um what was sort of the first i mean this could might have even happened before but what was sort of the first mma related like article you did or maybe it was the first interview does anything sort of come to mind as i bring this up
3: um you know it was really more about creating a language one thing that's not available in in a lot of the world are the actual terms and definitions for the moves in mma so we had to work with uh, actually, we worked with a guy from Toronto, uh, a guy by the name of Joel Gerson, who runs uh, Rev MMA. I think that's yep, his Yeah, J- I've G- met him the, before. The, yep. Yeah, super cool guy, you know, very, very uh, decorated in the BJJ and especially judo space. And uh, Joel came over to China and we worked with him to put together a series of instructional videos. And at that time, we basically created the language for things like Arm bar, guillotine, uh, you know, these things didn't exist. Achilles lock, like none of this stuff. uh, It just wasn't part of the vocabulary. So that was really the first that's how that was the first thing we had to do. And that's how far behind everything was over there. And it's been a really rapid and quick progression over the last eight years.
2: So you're doing all this stuff. Obviously you mentioned, uh, you know, how much time it's taking up uh, in certain instances, how, how, how is this, uh, you know, impacting your social life as a guy who's, you know, trying to work in China, trying to do all this stuff. And and you're trying to also, you know, have a life outside of work.
3: I'm a social creature, James Lynch. I can, uh, I can be doing business and being out, you know, I mean, we, we met at a social function in New York, technically that's work, right? So I tend to find that good things happen to me when I'm out, uh, Maybe having a few drinks, but, you know, out there meeting people and doing things. And that was a that was a big challenge. So it was it was combining social life with business. And that's ultimately I wouldn't say that's the key, but I've never uh, I've never lacked a social life in any way. And I've never felt the need to give it up because that's that's part of the business. That's part of the media business.
2: See, I never would have guessed that. You know, you seem like a conservative guy. You know, uh, as you're dressed now, you know, you, you don't strike me as someone who does stuff, uh, you know, outlandish or anything like that. So, uh, you know, that's kind of weird that you say that. Uh, I'm kidding, of course. But uh, no, I, I think it's. Uh, I, I think you're right. I mean, there's so many situations where, I mean, I've networked. There's there's jobs that I have now that that were done over beers. I mean, it's just uh, networking is you know something that I really preach on here. Um, you know, go out and you know when when you're covering these fight weeks or, or whatever. I mean, go out for drinks with the other journalists and you know get to know them and and really sort of of, uh, you know it's, it's not just about parting, but it's also you know just kind of getting to know uh, what's going on in the scene and everything and that's something we really sort of sort of hit on here um, as far as uh, you know what like like as far as uh, you know the coverage and everything like that and and, and uh, you know being in the industry being in mixed martial arts um, were there any sort of challenges early on you know getting into this sphere as far as the MMA industry uh, as far as writing and, and
3: things of that nature you know a lot of it came down to personal responsibility and execution I think that it's it's takes a certain type of character to transition from a promotional side into a news side. And I think that a lot of people maybe don't understand where one hat comes off and one hat begins. So as I was transitioning from my work in China to living in the States and going the the journalism route, I had to ask myself a series of questions. Can I do this ethically? Can I do this well? Can I do this responsibly? And when I answered all those questions and knew that I could, then the process started to reach out to editors that I had already worked with. Um, I was a travel writer for a long time as well. So I knew a lot of editors that worked at multi, uh, multi-tiered websites with a lot of verticals that maybe would have interest in sports content. So I did what a lot of people will recommend to young journalists. And I, uh, and I recommend, but not too much, which was to get a few clippings out there and just have some stuff online to pitch other editors. And from there, uh, that's really where I developed my relationship with Vice, and I wrote for them for about two years. And then at that point, uh, the Champions gig kind of went into full swing, and then it was the groundswell from there.
2: Yeah, and let, let's get right into that because I think people watching this will probably remember you from Champions and the great work that was going on over there. Um, you know, how did it come together with you joining the team, and you know, what was it like getting to work for this up and coming company and all the cool stuff you're getting to do?
3: So I was not the original editor of Champions. They had a guy before me by the name of Eric Fontanes who helped launch the site. And uh, at a certain point, for whatever reason, Eric stepped away. Actually, I've never met the guy, but he did great work before I arrived. And I was brought in by uh, by Rick Lee and by Ryan Matsunaga, who was our executive publisher over at Champions. And uh, you know, it was a it was a great time. You know, it was a it was a pretty cool startup. We were working for a company at the time called Movie Pilot, which then rebranded to Creators Media, which has rebranded again to Super, L- Super News Live, I think. And the idea was just to, to do something different. You know, if you look at a lot of the sites, there's a lot of great content coming out. There's a lot of great writers, a lot of great video producers. And what we wanted to do was to create sort of alternative content. So in addition to having people covering the news grind, we had people covering the news grind in a little bit of a, you know, counterculture way. And then we had content that was not journalism at all. It was just specifically produced video and, and it got a great reception, you know, it took a while it took a while for things to really start launching, but we were in place, pardon me, at the perfect time really before UFC 205 to have a lot of great video coming content coming out. And then really unfortunately what happened is that when stars leave the game, people have to reconsider, do we have the advertising dollars to continue this project? So I've heard a lot of people refer to Ronda Rousey as the site creator. And I think very much uh, that's true of, of Ronda and Connor. So there was so much interest in MMA at that time that, Our publisher, Ryan Matsunaga, was able to find the funding to put this amazing project together. And then when there was no certainty that those fighters were going to continue, we didn't know where the project was going to go. So we actually had some investors come to UFC 207 to watch Ronda fight. And that was a a really tough wake-up call because those guys, of course, were hoping that Ronda would continue to fight and we would be able to bring in the ad revenue. And, of course, that fight didn't go so well for Ronda, and she's never fought again. And so, really, it was just like uh, having the the rug. Damn, that's a big cup of coffee.
2: It's water, actually. Believe it or not, um, you uh, know, I got to stay. Hi- I got to stay hydrated in this thing. It's an hour, you know, and I got to light my face, so you know, I got to make sure I don't, uh, you know, get too parched around here.
3: All right. Um, and yeah, you know, at a certain point, it was just having the the rug swept out from underneath us. And they said, "Look, uh, the company has been sold." it wasn't actually a a full sale. It was their original investor bought a larger percentage of the company. And then that gave them the right to just eliminate the division of champions altogether. So one day we had a full-time staff of eight people in an office, plus another, you know, like eight freelancers around the country and then actually around the world even. And, And then one day it was just all gone. And we also had another division called Now Loading, which was just dealing with video gaming content. And they were also out. And at this point now, everyone's out. They've rebranded as super news live. If you go to champions.co, actually the website's gone. All you'll see is super news live and wish them luck. You know, it was a great year. It was a great run that we had. And unfortunately, you know, that's part of the media business. You have to adapt to change. And, you know, I mean, you're a, you're a great example of it. The way that you've used YouTube, you have, I know your YouTube following is just, is crushing it. And that's really what you have to do in the media game today is create your own opportunities. So it was great that someone created that opportunity for us to, make all this amazing content and and travel a bunch to cover events and and do a lot of exciting projects but you know you have to be versatile you have to be limber you have to be able If you're watching this, you must be watching James Lynch's MMA industry podcast on Fightful. My name is Dan Shapiro. I am his guest today. We're talking about MMA. We're talking about the industry. We're talking about news. We're talking about the media. We're having some technical difficulties, so I'm just waiting for James to get back on the on the call. I'm not even sure if this is actually going live to his, his YouTube page, but if so, nice to meet you all. You can find me at Danny Schapp on Twitter, and pretty soon James and I are going to talk about some new projects coming out through growl studios, LA that's uh, at growl studios, LA on Twitter. So hopefully James is going to get back to me soon, but uh, you know, just shooting the shit, I guess we can curse on a YouTube video. I believe because this is, is this not safe for work content? I'm going to keep my clothes on, but if we're cursing, I think that makes it not safe for work. So um, you know, fuck shit, piss asshole, those are all words you can't say on television, but you can say on YouTube because guys like James Lynch are out there creating their own opportunities and and redefining the media game for MMA writers, journalists, video producers, content creators, and that's what it's all about, is just creating content, doing what you like. If you like to write, you have to write. If you like to make videos, make videos. If you like to create websites, create websites. If you want to be an ad guy, be an ad guy. This is a never-ending business, but it is a zero margin uh, zero-margin society, so don't expect to get rich off this, but... But hustle, man. Huh? James Lynch is texting me. I'm not sure if that means that he is live and I'm not live, but we can see, right? Yeah, I'm still on this call. Yes. I'm still going. I'm still going. So we're in sunny California, Los Angeles, uh, a hotbed of MMA just a few hours from Vegas, which has been a real benefit when trying to get into this industry. You need to be around fighters. In, well, screw that. You don't really need to be around fighters. Oh, here we go. Is James Lynch coming back? Oh. I see the icon. I see the icon. 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 Icon, Icon. So what think? everyone think about UFC Austin? Pretty good fights, right? Stoppage may have been a little bit early in that cerrone Medeiro's fight, but but it's legit, not a robbery. Good to see Cowboy back winning. Uh, Always exciting when he is doing his thing and a promotable kind of fighter. And Derek Lewis just keeps chugging along you know are we going to get Lewis and Ngannou this year I have a feeling we will I have a feeling that later on in the year they're going to find a way to make that fight happen Lewis has no problem taking time off Ngannou is certainly taking time off right now after having so many fights in such a short period of time so the heavyweight division probably going to be uh not defined by that fight because of course there's Stipe and DC coming up later this year but that's going to be a very pivotal oh I just said pivotable. That is something I picked up from interviewing Jeremy Stevens last week. That'll be a pivotal fight in the in the heavyweight division. So I'm slurring my words because it is still early in the morning. It's ten twenty in LA. I am not an early riser. But if we could just get James Lynch back on the call, we may uh, we may actually have a show. James Lynch, can you hear me? I bet you can. So usually when something like this happens, it is my theory that someone's taking a bathroom break. Basically, anytime you're hearing a DJ play a long song, they're taking a bathroom break. So James Lynch accidentally cut out. Maybe he's tending to his young son. Uh, That could also be a, a valid excuse. But we'll have James back in a few moments. And this is really, I don't even know who's watching this. Probably mostly folks in Canada, which is cool because I like to consider myself a fake Canadian. The, uh, yeah, you guys, pretty easy to get citizenship to your country, so maybe I'll do that if I want to go all the way from my fake Canadian status to full-time, but I'm going to hop off this call right now.
1: Still no James Lynch, but I'm
3: broadcasting live to his YouTube channel, which is a lot of fun and a huge responsibility. My name is Dan Shapiro, and I, if you have been watching the MMA Industry Podcast, you'll know that I am a sports writer, MMA writer, producer, editor, and uh, and savant all the way around. Uh, a lot of media projects going on. Hopefully, James is going to come back online. We were talking about my, my days as the editor of Champions, the... Uh, the short but sweet site that, uh, that went offline just a few weeks ago was one of the leaders in alternative MMA content, or at least we would have liked to consider ourselves that. But you know how it goes with social media these days, wiping out media jobs. So because of that, have to create your own opportunities. So I've been uh, teaming up with some folks over at Growl Studios in Hollywood. That's uh, Twitter hashtag, uh, Twitter handle at Growl Studios LA. And we have come up with a slate of shows that we're going to start releasing on YouTube and just trying to create awareness for some fun projects that are not the straight news that you're going to see from guys like James and other leaders of the industry. We're doing something, I guess, a little bit more fun, something that deviates the fourth wall. Is it real? Is it produced? Is it creative is it reality we don't exactly know you won't exactly know and that's the fun project uh, you know is eliminating that fourth wall but still creating responsible content that's fun funny lighthearted, but also serious and has uh, you know a point so look out for those you can find us on youtube uh if you type in growl g-r-o-w-l studios la and you can find us on twitter uh at Growl Studios LA, we have a show that's already online called Fight Couch. If you haven't seen it, check it out now. We are over uh, covering the Bellator Heavyweight Grand Prix, and you can find Fight Couch on Twitter and Instagram at Fight Couch. It's a silly show, but it's a fun show, and it's uh, it's sort of a reality show, talk show. And then we have another show dropping tomorrow, brand new one called Just the Good Part. And you can find that on Twitter and Instagram at. Just the good part, which is an interview style show. We uh, kick off our first interview with UFC on Fox 28 headliner Jeremy Stevens. Put together a, a fun interview sesh for him. So hopefully, we'll get James back online. I know he's a busy man. That guy writes for basically every publication that, that I could think of. And, you know, he put me up against the, the toughest slot in the business, going, going live head to head against the MMA beat. But isn't that amazing that at some point we are going to have 24 hours of programming, seven days a week of competing MMA content, short form, long form. You're going to find it on fight pass. You're going to find it on YouTube. You're going to find it on the Bellator app. There's always going to be programming. There's going to be live stuff. There's going to be pre-recorded stuff. And of course pre-recorded stuff is great because you can watch it anytime in that sense. It becomes evergreen because it always lives, but the live content, that's something different. That's something that James is, uh, is bringing to the forefront with this MMA industry podcast. And of course, things like the MMA hour, right? If you're watching, uh, if you're following MMA, you need to watch that show or at least follow at Secret Moves MMA on Twitter because he covers it every week and kind of gives you the crib crib notes and the, ah. But no, no sound.
2: No sound. We got We got ah! the sound back. Oh okay. my God. So right. first off, for those who are watching, my apologies. Uh, I, I think my internet cut out, or I'm guessing that's what happened. And if you've been carrying the show the whole time, I very much appreciate that, Dan. What a guest! I
3: I thought that we were still live, so I just kept talking, uh, maybe talking some nonsense. But no,
2: that's perfect. That's perfect. You you were you were carrying the load here, as they say. So I, I appreciate it. First time that's ever happened here on the show, but that's you know that's the the beauty of doing this live. Sometimes you have to expect the unexpected. So where are we at right now, as far as uh, what you were talking about? Just so I can catch up here.
3: So I think that we were talking about the end of champions and I think that we were basically at the very end of that topic. And, uh, you know, while you were away uh, attending to your technical difficulties, I was basically getting into this whole idea that maybe one day we're going to have a 24 hours of live MMA programming, you know, at at a certain point and it, it very well could happen. If you look at what the guys from fight TV are doing and, you know, there are so many, so many media competitors and, 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 everyone has something valuable to add to that equation that can give the fan or the, you know, the, the sports junkie some, some insight into the game. And so now it's really just more about the, the readers, the viewers and the audience finding all those outlets and knowing, you know what, if you want to follow MMA, you can go and you can read articles, you can watch pre-recorded stuff, but there's a good chance there's going to be something live out there for you. That's going to give you maybe the most up-to-date stuff. And that's the news cycle turns over so fast that you want to be, you want to be on top of it. You want to be sharp. There's no one like a, There's nothing like an MMA fan that's going to tell you that you're wrong because you forgot something that just came out or you didn't know. So stay up to date.
2: I, I agree with all that. And I think that's great insight, uh, especially as we're, as far as where the future of this is going. And and I think that, you know, really what we've seen with the Netflix model and everything else is, you know, customizing things. That's people want to pick what they want to watch. You know, back in the day, you were forced to watch what you had to watch. And now if you have that option of sort of uh, picking and choosing, it's uh, it's good. And I think, uh, you know, just getting onto the champion stuff, because we were talking about it a bit there. One of the things I really thought was was working and was really sort of, you know, putting their pivot in the industry was the fact that they were doing so many things that were different. The Sage North guy, uh thing, I'll never forget that you know good cop bad cop um, that was uh, that was excellent um you know as far as those types of videos that you guys were doing who would sort of come up with those ideas was it a team effort was there like a group of producers that would come up with that stuff so the
3: North cut video I believe was good cop gooder cop
2: yes um, that was it yeah because because he's
3: just so damn nice that guy um, you know I was actually more in it, in charge of the content editing. So more of the text side, the writing side, we had a separate video team. Uh, You know, the, the, the director of sort of the video team was Rick Lee. If you know, Rick, Mm -hmm. you probably know Rick. He's involved in tons of MMA projects. I think he's with uh, embedded these days, but we had a great writer on staff, a guy by the name of Dave Rispoli, who is still, he's still over with, uh, with super news live. He, he was the one talent retained because because he's great on camera and oh james lynch oh he's back all right don't want to lose you again no no of so course not dave was the was the lead writer on on all the video content we did have uh, we had a great environment over there you know we had a really open format with team um you know amy kaplan was on that team who's now doing a lot of work at Fansided, and and it was just a really really open environment everyone could pitch something and in fact one of the guys that i'm working on one of my new projects with is a guy who was was over at champions. so everyone was allowed to pitch stuff and then in the end dave was really the guy that that wrote those beautiful sketches and created all the really funny content.
2: yeah, it's uh, it, it was really cool to see some of the stuff you were doing cuz really like, you know, you have your your major sites that are doing video content, but it's rare to see them go sort of outside the box and i think that was something that was really working. i know fight network as well at the time was doing stuff like that as well too cuz they had the Freedom of, you know, having a full network uh, that, that had, you know, a TV production staff. So I think that's the type of stuff that's really going to get people into MMA. And I, I thought that was something that, that was really working. So, you know, uh, tell me sort of the environment. You know, you're walking into the office. You guys had like an all-star team at the time. You know, you mentioned, uh, you know, Dave Rispoli as well as Andreas Hale, Amy Kaplan, um, you know, Justin Goletti was working for you guys. I know he wasn't working in the office, but he was another guy that was uh, sort of working for you guys. What was that environment like, you know, getting to go into work every
3: day, working for champions? You know, it was really cool to be around people that you like and respect. A guy like Andreas, I I couldn't say enough good things. I knew him as a writer just from reading his stuff before we started working together. And so it was just nice to you know, associate with a guy like that, who, who I really respect, you know, he has, he has good writing chops. He has good ideas. And uh, you know, he was, he's based in Vegas, but he would come to the office, you know, for a week every month. So we always had a chance to collaborate and build content calendars. And we had, you know, he had a team and I had a team. He was a, he was also a senior editor, just like myself. Justin Golightly is, is the savant of MMA. I mean, he's one of the, he's one of the best follows on Twitter. He's a wonderful artist. He has a great sense of humor um, you know nothing but nothing but great things to say about that guy he is a is a hustler you know now he's with bjpen.com he's done some great stuff with flow combat uh, just did those valentine's cards i know he did a darren the damage elkins cartoon and it was it was excellent because everyone was really proactive to contribute something you know we had jason Niwara, uh on staff for a while before he took off and uh, guys like Jared Jones. I mean, it was it, it was a really wonderful experience, and, and everyone had something to bring to the table. We even had some some young up and comers, social media guys that were, you know, just out of college. So we had a really good balance of people that were new to it, somewhere in the middle of their careers, and then people that had been established for a while, and not just writers, not just. Uh, video producers, but people that really were understanding that we needed to have a multi-platform approach. You know, you can't ignore social media in 2018, so we had to we had to develop and adapt, And and, and at the time, we felt like, oh, we're a website, so writing is only always going to be that thing that's the central hub of the website. Wherever we're going to do a video, it's going to be embedded in an article, so even if that's only good for the SEO side of things, that's going to help us build site traffic, but then because of things like YouTube, you don't need you don't need a website anymore. You can host directly on there. Now, I wouldn't suggest that exclusively for people because you look at what's going on on Facebook right now and people that are building their own platforms just in Facebook and not their own swimming pool, essentially, to play in, they may be asked out if, if Facebook changes their model. We don't know what's going to happen with YouTube, but you know if you're, if you're in bed with Google and Amazon and Apple and Facebook at this point, it's their rules. So it's good to use those because it's a great way to leverage content it's a great way to get exposure. Uh, it's, it's a nice, easy, and convenient platform to embed and upload things. But you want to remember to host your own content as well, because one day those things might be gone. And that's, uh, you know, Champions is a great example of that.
2: You might have already talked about this. Uh, and, and if you did, my apologies. Um, how do you know Rick, uh, Rick Lee? Because, um, you know, he was doing some stuff for MMA Junkie before, uh, you know, he was doing stuff with Champions and, and just a great video producer, like one of the best in our industry. Um, what sort of connection there uh, to how you met him initially?
3: Yeah, Rick and I met at a UFC press function interviewing Robbie Lawler. And at the time, I was also freelancing for MMA Junkie, and he had done some video work for them. So uh, we didn't meet each other because of that connection. But when we found out we had that connection, then, you know, then we started meeting more. And then, you know, he, he let me know about the Champions Project. So, yeah, it, it was just over, a, over an interview with Robbie Lawler.
2: Interesting. I met him at a UFC two hundred and five, and I realized you were at that event as well, and I was too. I guess at the time we never really linked up, but that was such a crazy event, anyways. I mean, I distinctly remember the post fight press conference, and you could not like the, the 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 they had to get like a bigger room because there was so many media for that. Do you remember that whole experience? It was crazy.
3: I totally remember that experience, and that's one of the more wild. That might be the most wild fight week I can recall. Not so much because of the media obligations, but because it's in New York. And uh, for me, I'm originally from the East Coast. I was born in New York. I grew up in New Jersey and I live in Los Angeles. So anytime I've gone to New York to cover a fight, I also have that opportunity to see friends and family that I haven't seen for a while. So in addition to all the media events and and getting all the content out as fast as possible, I had lunches, drinks and dinners outside of that. So I remember the week it was, you know, it went by in a flash. I was staying in Brooklyn, but working out of Midtown, commuting every day, doing satellite work over at the New York Athletic Club, meeting up with friends. It uh, It was a wonderful experience. And then you know, that, that press conference after the flight went until about 4 a.m. Yep. Which I, I had to wouldn't... fly.
2: I flew back to Toronto that morning. I hadn't slept because it went so late. I had a flight, I, I think, at 8 o'clock in the morning or something to get back to Toronto.
3: I brought my suitcase to Madison Square Garden. And I, uh, you know, being from the area, I know how to connect pretty quickly. But I was on the new the first New Jersey transit train from uh, from Penn Station to Newark Airport, I think, at, you know, 5.45 in the morning. I barely made my flight. But, yeah, I mean, I... I got out of there just, uh, just in the nick of time. But it, it was a it was a crazy experience. And those are the kind of things that you had to be there. You know, it was a time and a place. And if you weren't there, it's never going to come back. You know, I think everyone in the media space is hoping that Conor McGregor is going to fight in the UFC again. I'm certainly one of them because the dude is just a great fighter and he's, he's done everything he's ever said. So a fight with him against Tony Ferguson or Habib would be an amazing fight but it's also for the other intangibles that he generates in the media space so being able to cover a counter press conference and knowing that you're going to have a lot of hits on your material it it's sort of uh it it adds some motivation to the whole experience
2: We've got about twenty minutes left in the show, and I know we had a little uh, hiccup there, but uh, I did want to talk about some of the stuff you're working on right now. Because again, uh, you know, we talked about you know thinking outside the box and you know longevity in the industry, and you've certainly done that. Again, you're always looking five steps ahead, which is one of the reasons I really uh, enjoy your work. But uh, first, let's talk about um, Fight Couch. Uh, you know, just just that project, how that came together, and, and what's sort of the status on that right now.
3: Sure. So Fight Couch is actually something that I was drafted into. It was started by a buddy of mine, Jeremiah Alexis, who was. A, uh, a part-time staffer at champions that's how we met and he developed a relationship with um, warner lachlan studios where ronda rousey and tyron woodley study acting in hollywood and they have uh, they have a company in-house called growl studios and the guys at growl just happen to be big mma fans so they wanted to use their they're, they're involved in a lot of entertainment programming content development content development not so much in the sports space but they they had a passion for it and we had a passion for it so the first program that we kicked off was fight couch and it took us a long time to really get this together i was busy with with freelance gigs to uh focus so much time into the project and uh you know finally we we got everything going at the the end of 2017 and we've released two episodes the third episode will be online tomorrow and it's uh it's sort of a it's a different approach to MMA content and programming. It's not the straight news that you're gonna find at places like MMA Fighting, MMA Junkies, Sure Dog, MMA Odds Breaker, Fightful, Flow Combat, all these kinds of sites. We're trying, to, we're trying to break that fourth wall uh, between perception and reality of what you're really seeing with these fighters. So in, in some sense, the show is a little bit about Jeremiah and myself, but it's mostly about covering MMA. So it's a, a little bit of a snapshot of the inside you know, of what we do and then exploring more MMA lifestyle topics. So uh, if you haven't seen it, you can check out Fight Couch on YouTube. It is uh, Check out the Growl Studios LA page on YouTube. We're also on Twitter now, so you can find us at Fight Couch. On Twitter, also on Instagram, at Fight Couch, because I think that more and more we're going to be looking at those platforms as a place to uh, distribute and disseminate the content.
2: And uh, what about uh, Only the Good Parts? Uh, That's another thing you've been working on as well. Uh, What can people expect from that?
3: Yeah, so, you know, uh, because the guys at Growl are not strictly focused on MMA, we want to develop content that could be applicable to a number of formats. So um, we have our second show is going to launch tomorrow on Instagram, and it's called Only the Good Part. I don't know if you can hear that. I have a little bit of a siren going there. Exactly. But You're not uh, in trouble, are you? It's downtown LA, man. If you've ever been here, you know that there are fire trucks and sirens 24 hours a day. I'm just a good sleeper. But um, the, the new show we're launching tomorrow is called Only the Good Part. You can find us on Twitter and on uh, Instagram, at Only the Good Part. And it's an interview show, but it's... Uh, it's a creative play on an interview show. So it's not, it's done with some creative direction and producing. And our first episode is actually going to be featuring UFC on Fox 28 headliner, Jeremy Stevens, who uh, he's based in San Diego. We're in LA, which is, a, you know, being in LA is a great thing because we have access to so many fighters, you know, from San Diego all the way to Vegas is a huge concentration of MMA fighters. So there's sort of an endless pool of talent for us to pick from. And of course, Jeremy has the fight coming up on Saturday against Josh Emmett. So he was kind enough to come down and join us in the studio to be our first subject. And and that'll be online tomorrow at only the good part. We
2: talked about mentors earlier, Uh, interviewing, uh, you know, athletes or anyone in general sort of is a skill in itself. Is there anyone you sort of look at, maybe not as a mentor, but someone you kind of look at as a a style that you enjoy that you've kind of brought in in the way you interview uh, athletes and fighters?
3: You know, I, being an artist myself, I sometimes am the person interviewed. So I know what it's like to be in a bad interview and I've had to just develop rapport quickly. So do I have any real heroes or mentors? I can't really say that I do. It's just that I'm comfortable speaking with people and I prepare, uh, you know, prodigiously. I really do. The, the research. And that's really what's important when you're, when you're doing an interview, because you're going to look like a phony if you don't know what you're talking about. So you really, really have to prepare. You have to do the prep. You have to do the research and have a lot of questions because there can never be any dead space. You know, a bad interview is one where no one's talking and MMA fighters, they get the same questions over and over and over again. You need to give them something different or do it in a different way. You know, you find a lot of people are asking yes, no questions. I don't think I ever ask a yes, no question because I don't want to know yes or no. I want to know why. I want to know how. I want to know when. Though, to me, those are the more interesting parts. And sometimes it's easy just to give a yes, no question. And these guys know to riff on that topic for a while, but I don't like to leave anything to chance. And, you know, as a, as a writer, I come from this generation of, of guys that really grew up into Hunter S Thompson. I think that there's a lot of us in the MMA space that are big, uh, big fans of Hunter and, you know, every time that I go to Vegas to cover an events uh, and I'm driving from LA to Vegas, it's always a, a fear and loathing in my head. But um, yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the road. That's, that's how you go. You have to create and develop your own path. So, um, you know, I have my own way of, of interviewing and it's, it's fun. You know, I don't, I don't like to ask too much of the technical stuff because I'm not a technical guy. I'm not a, I do box, you know, I, I train boxing and, and I've trained jujitsu and uh, I spent a long time in Thailand training kickboxing But I'm not a I'm not a competitor, you know, so I know a little bit about this stuff, but I'm not trying to get too technical with guys. I want to know more about their characters as opposed to we all know they fight. That's 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 the easy part.
2: Yeah, no, I I definitely agree with that. Um, As far as, um, you know, your day to day, uh, especially now with so much stuff you have going on with the projects and your writing and everything like that. um, What does that sort of look like? I know I'm sure it's different every day, but, you know, just give me an example of a typical day and and what that sort of looks like for you.
3: Uh, yeah. I mean, normally I'm up at the crack of noon. Uh, I just got up early for this interview today. That's, I appreciate it. That that's actually not true. Uh, I'm an early riser. I find that that as I get older, I like to wake up earlier and earlier. So I'm, I'm out of bed around six thirty AM and, and I do work out a good amount. So that's always something that I, um, I do to keep my mind clear and fresh. And then literally the most important time of the day for me is right before I go to bed, before I go to bed, I'm making a list of all the things I need to do for the next day, because I really, I rarely have, I rarely have two days that are the same. You know, after this interview, I have to go do t-shirt business. You know, um, and t-shirt business is something I only do maybe once every other week. You know, uh, and then after that, I'm going to be in a studio doing some post production on the final, uh, the final cuts of only the good part. And uh, you know, hopefully, I'm going to have tomorrow off, but I'm not sure about that yet because I have to wait and see how today goes. Uh, so I. I live a rather chaotic lifestyle. Uh, in between all of that, I am, uh, I don't know if you can see behind me, but you got some, uh, guitars and amps there. I'm, uh, working on some new material with, uh, with some guys called Barnes, sort of, uh, sort of a rowdy rock and roll tribe out here in Los Angeles. So, um, you know, just keeping a clear head and being limber because, you know, in addition to all this, like you, like a lot of guys, I have a relationship as well. So you gotta, you gotta make time for the lady. You can't forget about that. So as good as, uh, as good as the media business is to you, you have to be better to your partner. And that's uh, so
2: true.
3: yeah, I mean, that's, that, that's very important. So I, I wish that sometimes I wish I could know what my day-to-day is going to be, but that's also what keeps it interesting.
2: So how do you deal with those challenges? You know, sometimes I, I face this a lot. I'm sure you do as well. You have things that are unexpected and come up, but you might have plans already, you know, coming about. How do you sort of tackle those challenges and, and you know, how understanding is your significant other? Because I'll be honest, my wife and I, I mean, we, we communicate as much as we can, but, but we butt heads a lot
3: just because, you know, work and, and personal
2: life sort of get in the way sometimes.
3: I think that that's a case by case basis. And it depends on how big the opportunity is and, um, you know, how you know, what else you have planned Uh, during the week of Mayweather McGregor? I actually had my in-laws in town from abroad. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a simple choice. I said, honey, I got to cover this fight. It's the biggest fight ever. And she said, yeah, of course you do. You got to go out there and do it. And then there are other times where you just can't make it to every event. You can't make it to every press conference. And that's a, that's a concession, you know, for guys that are chasing the news grind. I admire them and I also kind of feel bad for them sometimes because they are on the road nonstop. I mean, you look at a guy like John Morgan, John Morgan is, you know, one of the three to five hardest working guys in the entire industry, but he's a guy that rarely gets to see his family. And, and people think that it's so much fun to cover these events. And it is fun to be honest with you, but it's not what you think, you know, you are, you are working on content for four days straight and then you get a couple days break to rest. And then you're back out doing it again. So, um, you know, I salute all the guys that are in the, you know, there's like that dozen guys that are in the, the hardcore news core that are at every show. And, uh, you know, I salute those guys that do a lot of great work, but I'm a little bit more, you know, I'm, I'm halfway in at this point. And um, so if it's, if it's not something that's going to do big numbers or it's not something I need, I'm going to spend time with, uh, with my lady or in other facets of my life. But if it's an opportunity that I just can't pass up, then everyone's going to understand that.
2: Am I going to see you at UFC 223 in Brooklyn? You're not. Ah, too bad. Figured You're maybe not. you might be going to that one, but I, I guess because you got so much going on, uh, what like when is the next event you think you'll be covering? I guess it just depends on how everything else pans out.
3: Uh, it's very likely International Fight Week will be the oh. next time that I that I cover a fight. It depends really if there's anything coming to LA. We're trying to keep operations in LA as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I may make it to some smaller shows. I do check out King of the Cage fights sometimes. Nice. Um, you know, so. The, you know you're you're huge in the regional scene you are probably the leader of of the media industry for the regional scene and those fights a lot of times are just as fun as the big ones sometimes maybe more because it's so raw the guys are so unrefined and some of them are really really talented so you could see them in their rise so um you know i recommend to people to check out the small shows because the ufc is great bellator shows are becoming better and better um but the the local shows have something to offer, you know, they're, they're gritty and grimy. And, uh, you know, if you're there as a fan, have some beers and and go with your friends and enjoy it. If you're there as media probably shouldn't be having any beers, but there's still a lot of (laughs) value. And, um, you know, there's a lot of value to covering those events and more and more. I think that the, I feel like the regional promotions are going to start to get stronger in the next couple of years, especially with, uh, you know, LFA has done a, a great job to establish themselves as a really premier feeder organization. So uh, I do hope to cover one of their events and, and Invicta. So maybe if those, uh, if those promotions are going to be in LA, I'll find some, something to do out there with them. But I think the next big show I'm going to cover is international fight week. I guess I have a week to figure out if I'll make it to, uh, to UFC 223, and would love to cover that Ferguson and Norma fight. I've wanted to see that fight for a while uh I'll, I'll definitely be watching it but but not confirmed to attend at this point and looking like probably not
2: well if i don't see a 223 i'll see an international fight week because i'm going again this year just uh, got all that stuff arranged i just i'm still waiting on the ufc uh to, to let me know which outlet i can cover it for because uh fightful i don't mind sharing this on air i've talked about this before uh the ufc's basically told us that you know it's an event per event type basis so i'm just waiting to get an answer from them if i can't go with them and I'll just go with Sportsnet, which is, you know, normally what I go go with because uh, they're always approved. They're a huge network here in Canada, and I'm happy to rep them. But uh, it's kind of one of those things I have to wait and see before I can uh, go and apply. Uh, it's just one of the, the things we have to deal with in this business. Um we kind of, you know, talk a little bit about professionalism and things like that. You're someone that I see on social media, you know, very sort of, you know, lives sort of the professionalism code. How do you sort of navigate through social media and not sort of, you know, because I'm sure the odd time you'll get people giving you crap. How do you sort of deal with all that?
3: I'm not sure if I've ever been in an online argument before.
2: Wow. You're Um, a rare breed.
3: Yeah. I don't have time for that, man. You know, social media, there are so many guys that are so much better guys and girls that are so much better at social media than I am that I don't try to compete with a talent pool that I can't compete with. So uh, social media is not what I do best. And, and Twitter is a giant black hole. I mean, if you really wanted, you could dedicate most of your life to that. And there are plenty of people that are making money as content marketers dedicating their whole life to that. But I like nature. I like to live. I like to breathe. I like to travel quite a bit. So you know, social media is fun and it's a valuable and useful tool, but I never really take too much stock in people that I don't know, or uh, I don't respect their opinions. So I do see I do see a lot of people getting in arguments with uh, with others on social media, and that's fine. You know, if people wanna if people wanna hammer home a dead point, um, you know, until it's you know just cashed and, and, and burned, then then go for it. But for me, I'm you know I have too many good things to live for. I don't need to get into uh, Into online spats and I'm also a very uh, detailed proofreader so I don't have too many spelling or grammatical errors in my tweets which doesn't open me up for a lot of criticism because you know that there are a lot of you know hardcore grammar nuts in the MMA fan world so um, yeah you know I, I think that as someone who, who went to school and studied journalism. I definitely learned a, a professional code of ethics before I was, was out of school. So this was, you know, when I was in school, we thought the internet was just a fad. We didn't know it was really going to, it was going to take off. Like it did. There were no smartphones. We didn't know about social media at this time. So, you know, I like to treat everything like I would as if I were a, if I were a newsman in the fifties, I certainly dress a little bit differently, maybe a little bit more alternatively and I feel more comfortable that way, but still, uh, still professionally. And you know you have to you have to ask yourself the real questions internally you know you're when you put on that hat as a writer as a producer as a journalist you're not a fan you know you have a yeah. responsibility to the audience and so you have to be honest with the audience so when you when you go and watch just the good part when it comes out tomorrow you'll know very clearly that we've taken some creative liberty with the material it's all done responsibly it's all done ethically but in order to give the program a little bit more of a of a fun feel to make it a little bit more engaging, we've done some creative editing on it. And uh, and that's just for a product, you know, and that's why I talk about, uh, you know, changing the difference between reality and perception. This is actually a journalistic outlet, but through the powers of editing, through the powers of television and social media, we're able to create it more into, more into like a show.
2: Interesting. Okay. Um, I'm sure, I, I don't know if you do or not, but do you get people reaching out to you sort of asking for advice? And if so, what's sort of one thing that you find is a common theme?
3: You know what? I don't think a lot of people reach out to me and ask me for too much advice because I have not, uh, I have not reached that plateau of our industry. You know, I think that the okay. people that are getting more questions are guys like you guys, like John Morgan, guys, like Ariel guys, like Chuck. I mean, those are guys who have established themselves much more so than than I have, and and so those are pe- probably the people that people need to, to ask a lot of the questions to. I'm a little bit old school. I'm a little bit of a loner. Uh, I'm not so clicky with uh, with the whole scene as much. So I maybe don't have the the best insight. But you know, when you were when you were away and I was carrying the program, I just told people I said, "You got to do what you like. You have to do what you're passionate about." It is a it is a zero margin type of industry. You know, it, it's more about a share culture. You can't expect to get. To get rich off any of this stuff, but if you're passionate about it, then write. If you're passionate about making videos, make videos, but do it responsibly. You know, don't uh, don't rip other people off, don't steal people's content, and don't try and make people look bad just because you can do so. You know, that's yeah. that's not really that's not being responsible with your content.
2: No, I agree. Have you ever had a situation like that where someone's ripped off your your content, whether it was a video or maybe an article, they plagiarized or anything like that?
3: Uh, you know what? I don't think that has happened to me before, and I am. I'm a fan of the free internet. Like I believe that things should be out there for, for people to use and share. Of course, I don't want people to rip off my own stuff, but, uh, you know, I, I've, I've actually never run into that. You can find are like these auto generate sites that will sometimes copy articles completely word for word, and then they'll paste it in their own website, but they will attribute it or at least link back. I, I don't love that, but I, you know, I also don't, uh, I don't hate it either. So, um, yeah, fortunately I've never been ripped off and hopefully that's not going to happen with fight couch and only the good part. And, you know, look, you have to be creative. This is a creative industry. So if you're not creative, then, then don't pretend to be creative by ripping other people off. You know, if you're, if you're on Instagram these days, you can see that a lot of people are building huge followings just by stealing other people's stuff. And I, and I know that the idea is, oh, well, it's just free content, but there's, uh, you know, there are landmark decisions coming down in, in Supreme court's, right now and there's going to be no place for that eventually so you know if if you'd like to draw i think that a a great example of all that is uh is justin go secret moves you know the guy the guy writes the guy draws um he does great voice impersonations He's, he's a great designer so just develop your skill sets and and worry about yourself and not what other people are doing
2: What, what's one of the biggest mistakes you see people making just, uh, I know you're not like super active on social media, but are the things that you see that people are doing that you're kind of like, eh, I probably wouldn't do that. Is there anything that sort of stands out?
3: Well, you know, I think it's more about not doing the same thing that everyone's doing. You know, If, if you look at the way that people are covering fights on, uh, on social media, everyone basically has the same, the same tweets out there, you know, like it's, uh, it's not a bad thing. You know, I feel like especially scoring fights, that's a great way for the, the media and for the for the fan base to see, you know who's oh you got a cat back there.
2: Uh, nice. Cat oh yeah yeah, yeah. he's uh, he's just hanging out that's uh, that's Fuji. Sometimes he makes an appearance on the show, but uh, for, for our, vi- our video viewers he's uh, he's my yeah. silent co-host. So he's he's a good cool. cat.
3: Um yeah you know in, in terms of mistakes I think that you know just just don't uh, just don't rip other people's stuff off. You know I think that in this industry in particular people are very sensitive. You know, and, and people should know that. And, and you have to grow a thicker skin if you are sensitive. But there's, there's a lot of trolls out there. You know, that is part of the fan base. That is part of the audience. That is part of the viewership. There's a lot of cynical people that like MMA. It is a sport where people are out there punching each other in the face and, and kicking each other in the stomach and, uh, and choking each other out and trying to break people's arms. And with that comes a lot of cynicism. So don't be too sensitive. And, uh, you know, don't take everything as a, as a personal assault. And then also don't pick on people because in order for things to grow and evolve and develop, you're going to have to have some level of education. And so in order to welcome people to the fan base, to the audience, to the followers, to the viewership, you're going to have to deal with, you know, some, some green folks who don't know everything about the sport, but that's, you know, it's about education.
2: Uh, we've got about three minutes left, but uh, because of a little tech mishap, uh, I'm going to extend this uh, just a few more minutes, uh, just for our viewers. I hope that's cool with you, Dana, because I got some other uh, cool questions I wanted to ask you. Um, one being is, you know, you've interviewed a, a lot of people. Is there anyone, sort of, in, in the MMA world that you haven't interviewed that's sort of on the bucket list of someone that you think would be very interesting or a good article?
3: Yeah, Dana White.
2: Okay, nice.
3: Um, you know, I've, I've had a, I've had a great experience and opportunity to interview some of the bigger fighters in MMA, not always in a one-on-one basis, but you know, I've done interviews with Conor, with Rondo, with John Jones, with DC, with Dillashaw, with Cody, with Cruz. I mean, you know, it's it, I've had some great opportunities, but the one thing I've never been able to do is just have a one-on-one sit down with Dana. That's probably um, a very difficult interview to get, of course, he's a busy man and, and a popular guy, but that's the bucket list interview for sure, would be to sit down with Dana for an hour. I think the guy probably has the most interesting stories out there because, you know, he's been with the UFC for, for over 20 years and, and, and help create and develop the sport and, and taking it to a, another level. So that's gotta be, that's gotta be number one on the bucket list. And, uh, and I'm sure that there will be others because there's going to be more fighters coming up and, and, and that's what we need to look out for. Are the, are the guys that are emerging.
2: I agree. That's why it's uh, important to focus on the regional stuff, uh, which, uh, you know, like you mentioned earlier in the show, it's uh, it's good because, you know, if you look at other sports, they really do do that. I mean, you look at football like the NCAA is a huge part of the NFL in the sense that, you know, everyone's sort of aware of who the up and comers are. But in MMA, it's not really like that. Uh, there is coverage of regional MMA, but it's nowhere near where it needs to be, in my opinion. But uh, hey, I'm doing my part. Um, as far as, uh, you know, we, we talked about, um, you know, uh, fighters you want to interview. What, what's somewhere Where's somewhere that you'd love to travel to that you haven't had the opportunity to travel? travel because you talked to you know obviously traveling's a big part of your life i mean for
3: specifically for a fight or just in uh, no just
2: in general man what's what's sort of on the bucket list of traveling
3: oh man i uh i like to get around and i've been around quite a bit uh portugal is pretty high on the list um and then, you know, I've become a bit of a francophile, so I am waiting for MMA to be legalized in France, so I can get over there and, and cover the first fight over there. Um, I'd like to go to Georgia, the uh, the country of Georgia in the in the Caucus. I actually have family out there that we discovered uh, a few years ago, so we have a, we have a family vineyard actually. So I'd like to travel out there. And uh, you know, living in Asia for a while, the one place that I wasn't able to make it to that I really wanted to. Was Vietnam. So um, I'll add South Africa onto that list as well. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a constant voyager and traveler. And I'm always, you know, I, I travel and then I write stories around that. So I cover lifestyle, I cover food, I cover sports, I cover culture, uh, I cover travel. So these are all ways that I basically turn my life into business.
2: Yeah, I, I hear you. I was on vacation, you know, a couple of weeks ago. People saw here on the podcast, you know, I'm still trying to do work while also, uh, you know, getting to enjoy uh, some some traveling as well. And I think you can do it if you, you know, you have a good Wi-Fi connection. I'll just leave it at that. Um, as far as uh, you talk about, you know, being a musician and all that stuff. Uh, what type of music are you listening to right now? If I went on your phone, what would I find in there as far as a playlist? And I, I, I'm just going to take a stab here and say, oh, it's it's, it's going to be a variety of different things. Am I right?
3: Uh, yeah, it would it would be a variety of different things. I mean, right now, if you go on my phone iTunes, you'll pull up the Royal Bru- the most recent Royal Blood album. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a guitar player and I'm really into heavy metal and, and hard rock and stoner rock. So bands like Black Sabbath, Queens of Stone Age, Led Zeppelin, Mondo Generator. I mean, these are these are bands that I love. But I also uh, I'm really into flamenco music, so I do listen to a lot of uh, you know classical guitar playing. Uh, I, I listen to a lot of classical music as well. I have a garden out on my, out on my stoop. So I like to play, you know, some, uh, some Brahms or some Verdi for the plants. Cause that's always good for their, for their growth. And then, um, you know, my wife is an electronic musician. So we also listen to a lot of electronic music in the house. So there's no, there's no shortage. It's uh, you know, when I was in college, I became really obsessed with Marshall McLuhan um, and, and, all about the media the medium is the message you know that that's the real story here so there are some things that we listen to on vinyl and there are some things that we listen to on cd and there are some things that we still listen to on cassette tape and there are things that we listen to on streaming or mp3 and it's all about what you're listening to why when and how that decides what that's really for and that can be applied to to all content really you know there's a there's a time and a place for everything And what you're creating will be expressed in a certain way for the outlet that it is created for. And that will resonate with the audience in a different way based on what the medium is.
2: Dan, we could go for another hour here, man. It's so cool getting a chance to talk to you and hearing about all the different things you're doing. It's even—it's uh, one of those episodes I'm going to have to go back and actually uh, listen to some of the stuff you're working on because it, it really is a lot of stuff. But uh, thanks again for coming on the show. Just to remind people where they can uh, get a hold of you on social media and if you have anything uh, coming up as far as uh, you know the fight couch and only the good parts that you
3: want to plug, uh, use this opportunity, man. The floor is yours. Cool, yeah. So my personal account on Twitter is at Danny Schapp. D a n n y s h a p. I think people can find that link through uh through your own uh through your own tweet. They'll, but yeah, they'll see like, them in here. Yeah, like, like I mentioned, Fight Couch is already online, so you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Fight Couch. And then uh, only the good part uh, goes online tomorrow, and you can find us also. Uh, on Twitter and Instagram at only the good part, and we have the, uh, the YouTube page Growl Studios LA. So the content's going to be coming from there, and of course, if I have any other projects coming out with different outlets, I'll keep you current and let you know and update you at that time.
2: Excellent. And everyone can follow me on Twitter at Lynch on sports. Uh, I got a bunch of interviews coming up for this Saturday's uh, UFC Orlando card. So be on the lookout for that just uh, on Twitter. You can find, I usually repost all my stuff there. And I want to thank Dan again because uh, Dan carried the show when I had internet issues and uh, that is a true veteran right there. So that's why I get uh, get, get a guy like Dan on here. Cause uh, you know, I know I can trust him in any situation. So, uh, so that's perfect. And now uh, guys next week uh, we're going to be on at a different time. I got to mention this five uh, o'clock Eastern time. I've got a guest that I think you guys are really going to like um, because of their time difference, I had to sort of accommodate that way, but I'll post the links to that next week. And, uh, thanks everyone for tuning in. I want to thank Dan again, and uh, we'll see you next week.
3: All right, James. Thank you very much for sure.